Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a local take on the connection between social media and mental health. It's Fire Prevention Week and a Golden Gopher men's hockey preview. But first... The COVID Delta variant not only tightened its grip on Minnesota this week, but also on the state's political system. MNN's Bill Werner is here with a recap. Scott, the week began with several hundred at Hutchinson's Library Square for a medical freedom rally against vaccine and mask mandates. You said these words. You said let them learn, let them play, masks off, health freedom, and I mean it now. Republican gubernatorial hopeful Dr. Scott Jensen told the crowd Minnesota's educational system has been attacked. A DFL party spokesman responded, Jensen, quote, opposes the single best tool we have to bring this pandemic to an end and has been, quote, spreading dangerous misinformation and putting Minnesotans at serious risk. Governor Tim Walz met with legislative leaders, urging them not only to agree on COVID bonuses for frontline workers. Now one month past the Labor Day deadline lawmakers set for themselves. But Walls also asked lawmakers to approve drought relief for Minnesota farmers, plus implement COVID vaccination and testing requirements for workers in long-term care facilities and for teachers and school staff. I remind you, we have children in ICU because they caught COVID. They got that from someone. It's not their fault. Um, but each of us can do something to alleviate that. In a written statement, Senate Republican Majority Leader Jeremy Miller responded, he's confident we can reach an agreement on the bonus pay for frontline workers, but says, quote, the growing list of requests from Governor Walls is not productive toward ensuring that happens in a timely manner. The governor fired back. I get it. You don't like this plan. What is yours? Doing nothing kills people. Doing nothing shuts down buildings. Doing nothing avoids the science. The cause of the holdup is more than a policy dispute. Senate Republicans are talking about using a special session, whether that be for frontline worker COVID bonuses or something else, to oust State Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm. Her department's recent launch of an app called Docket that allows Minnesotans to access their vaccination history on their smartphones did nothing to endear her to GOP lawmakers who warned it's a backdoor to vaccine passports. And to have the Department of Health create a digital one, um, unbeknownst to those in the legislature, is, is pretty upsetting that you're going to have to show your digital vaccine passport. Um, I think it goes against our Constitution. Stillwater Senator Karen Housley, Health Commissioner Malcolm, responded. While many people we think will prefer the app and be well served by the convenience it provides, it is absolutely not required. Ham Lake Republican Senator and gubernatorial hopeful Michelle Benson said Malcolm did not let the legislature know what her department was planning. It was an opportunity to build trust, and the administration decided to go around the legislature. Governor Walls stood firm on keeping Malcolm. Democrats backed him up. If Jan Malcolm were removed from office, it would destabilize our effort on COVID. And I'm sure she would be replaced with someone as credible, as competent, and as fierce in in pursuit of protecting our health. It's a talking point. It's a roadblock. And it should come off the table. Said St. Paul Senator Aaron Murphy. New Hope Representative Cedric Frazier echoed. For me, it's, it's... 
it's troubling that we would want to remove the leadership that has helped guide us through this um, public health crisis at a time when we're still seeing surges. And the governor's stand on calling a special session to approve COVID bonuses for frontline workers, he said in mid-September. I want to get this other work done, but I am not going to lose the top health official in the state of Minnesota. Let's delve further into this with Carleton College political expert, Professor Stephen Shear. One of the big questions that's going to be answered here is how strong is Tim Waltz's commitment to Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm? Uh, is he willing to uh, allow aid to health care workers to uh, go by the boards and not occur in order to keep Jan Malcolm as health commissioner? Uh, and uh, Tim Waltz is going to have to make that decision, uh, and uh, it's a very consequential one for health care workers. And it seems like that decision is more difficult, the more problem we have with COVID. If COVID remains a problem and the state has to continually make it a top agenda item, Jan Malcolm is in the headlights and she is getting a lot of attention and she becomes a target for uh, all sorts of partisan disagreement. And uh that's been her situation, and as long as COVID remains as salient as it is, uh, she will be uh, one of the central public figures of the state. And it seems that if COVID is remains salient, as you say, and we hope it doesn't, but maybe it will, that that um, potentially could harden uh, Tim Walls' position on keeping uh, Jan Malcolm. Would that be a reasonable conclusion, do you think? Well, you know, I think if COVID remains a big problem, it hardens both sides about this. That is, uh, Jan Malcolm uh, remains a uh, target for the Republican Party, and uh, Tim Walz remains committed to Jan Malcolm to work his way through this crisis. So in many ways, uh, the fate of all these things depends upon the future of COVID in Minnesota. And that's what what has determined a lot of things here for the last couple yeah, of years. Yeah, and that's now. an imponderable. I mean, uh, you, have to, you really need a crystal ball to figure out the future of COVID in Minnesota. That's Carleton College political analyst Stephen Shear. Scott. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. 
welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Strong reaction to the recent outages on Facebook, Instagram, and other apps have brought into focus the impact of social media on mental health, particularly the mental health of our younger people. I recently spoke with Jessica Wong from Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation about this concerning trend. There's a lot of research that's currently being done, and You know, early indicators are showing that interaction on apps such as Instagram that are heavily visually focused are changing uh, body image perceptions of young people. Uh, They're creating increased rates of anxiety and depression at rates that we haven't ever seen historically with young people. And there's a lot of different factors that go into that part of which is related to the intentional design of the apps that we're seeing by these companies like Facebook and Instagram who are creating features that are designed to sort of tap into the weaknesses of the adolescent brain. It seems like more and more, especially recently, we're getting a better insight into ways that we are being manipulated by some of these companies. But how much of a factor is that, the fact that we're being manipulated, and in some cases, especially when it comes to young people, we're, we're not necessarily aware that that's the case. Absolutely. That's the, the big difference between young people and adults as it relates to social media and technology use. Young people don't yet have fully developed prefrontal cortexes or brains, and so their ability to sort of rationalize or apply logic to the fact that maybe a company like Instagram is is manipulating them or taking advantage of them is limited. Uh, That's something that, you know, we kind of see across the board for young people. And, you know, certainly as adults, we have more awareness, but that doesn't necessarily change the outcome of how we interact with uh, these different applications. You know, for for adults, um, maybe maybe more than children, when we talk about having mental health issues, uh, a lot of times that can lead to something like therapy or medication. Are we seeing increases in in more teens and young adults going to see therapists as a result of this uh, anxiety and depression being caused by social media? You know, that's a fabulous question. And One thing I can say is that, you know, treatment as it relates directly to technology use is not something that's uh, recognized uh, by the DSM-IV as a diagnosable condition. For example, there isn't yet a diagnosable condition of technology addiction or social media addiction, which makes it difficult to provide treatment for those things. It makes them cost prohibitive. What we can do, though, is get treatment for anxiety and depression, and there's been a dramatic increase in people accessing these services across the board over the last couple of years, some of which is pandemic-related likely, but also it's fair to say that there's a chance people are reaching out and seeking support. The thing that's tricky about you know, anxiety and depression as it relates to technology use is that we don't often recognize that cause and effect. We don't necessarily see that it's directly as a result of our social media use, and we want to be able to continue to use social media or technology. And so the motivation to reach out and seek help 
may be lowered, um, especially for young people. There's probably not a, a parent listening to this, a parent of a teenager who doesn't realize or have a sense that all the screen time that their teens are spending is is not necessarily healthy, but it can be a battle somewhat. I mean, in, in some ways, it seems like an inevitable fact of life that, that kids are going to be on their screens more. It's it's almost seems like a fact of life. Does it have to be that way? And, and what do you recommend for parents who are trying to limit some of that social media interaction in order to, uh, in some ways, improve their children's mental health? Sure. Yeah. The, the important thing to note is that, you know, all technology is bad. And some use of social media in and of itself isn't necessarily harmful. However, it's when that use starts to interfere with your day-to-day activities, your school activities, your job, your responsibilities around the house, your social relationships, where we start to see the concern set in. And you're absolutely correct. It is an ongoing battle for parents to kind of fight against this. One thing I want to note is that there is a very distinct difference um, when we look at kind of the impacts of technology, when we compare productive technology use, for example, technology use that's used for schooling versus uh, recreational technology use, such as social media or video games, productive technology use doesn't have the same impact. So sometimes I see parents get caught in the notion of saying, well, my kid uses their computer every day for eight hours a day at school. It's going to cause them problems. And that type of interaction with technology has a very, very different impact on the brain. So that's one thing for parents to note. Um, one thing that's, that's great to know about the state of Minnesota is that within the last couple of months, we passed basically the first of its kind in the nation, a digital well-being bill uh, that will allow us to create a resource hub, drive peer-to-peer training, and some information campaigns across the state of Minnesota for educators, for young people, and for families about the potential dangers and challenges faced by the overuse of technology. And so I'm really proud of the state of Minnesota for taking that lead, especially ahead of everything that we've seen going on. But individually, at the home level, there's some really basic, simple things that we could lean into to try to change some of these impacts. First and foremost, I'd recommend, number one, not allowing our kiddos to have their phones with them overnight. Uh, Oftentimes, they'll argue with you that they need to use it for their alarm clock in the morning, but I say it's worth the investment to get an alarm clock to keep those devices out of their room. They need the downtime, they need the break, and they certainly need the sleep because sleep will help mitigate some of the impacts of anxiety and depression. So if there's one thing families choose to do, I would recommend that. The other thing to think about, too, is considering as families when the appropriate age for your family is to start allowing access to such apps as Instagram and Facebook. The older kids are, the more developed their, their prefrontal cortex is, and the more able they are to mitigate some of the risks that are inherent in using some of these platforms. And therefore, I'd recommend not giving access to um, things like Instagram and Facebook to kids who are 8 or 10 or 12. Um, In fact, if it were up to me, I would push that there would be um, a mandate that you have to be 16 or 18 years old before you have access to those sites. Thank you to my guest, Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation's Jessica Wong. Minnesota Matters will return after this.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. It's Fire Prevention Week in Minnesota, and Tasha Radel has more. Joining me today is State Fire Marshal Jim Smith. Jim, I know every year you folks center around a key theme. Can you tell me a little bit about this year's fire prevention safety theme? This year uh, for Fire Prevention Week, our slogan is Learn the Sounds of Fire Safety, and it's really geared toward uh, educating the public on the sounds that your smoke alarm or CO detector will make uh, in the presence of an emergency situation or if the battery is going bad. And so we're telling everybody that three loud continuous beeps means you have a smoke condition or fire condition at home. You get out of your house and dial 911. If it's just chirping, single chirp every 30 to 60 seconds, that's a very good indication that your battery is low and needs to be changed. You could also get that if after changing your battery, it would your alarm is still chirping, it may mean that your unit itself is outdated. Most CO detectors and fire alarms should be changed out every 10 years. So sometimes the sensors will go bad, sometimes the battery. But that's the big thing we're trying to educate people on. Fire departments across the state are inundated with uh, calls to residential homes for chirping smoke alarms. And it's not a bad thing. If you don't know what's going on, definitely call 911. But many times it's, it's as simple as changing out the battery. What is the leading cause of fire in the state? If I were to guess, I'd say careless smoking and or cooking related fires. Yeah, cooking fires is still the leading cause of house fires in our state. And the other big message we're trying to get people to understand is that if you're cooking anything, and this doesn't mean it's uh, a gas stove or an electric stove, either one, stay in the kitchen while you're cooking. In our mobile society with our cell phones and busy day-to-day activities with children and such, it's sometimes easy to forget that you've got something on the stove and you leave the kitchen just for a minute, as most people say, um, and something bad happens. You know, the, 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 you get a grease fire or some other type of fire, and it, it's quite shocking to the homeowner to come in and see back into the kitchen and see this fire. And, you know, if they just stayed in the kitchen, they would have been able to move that pan off the stove before it got too hot. And once they go back into the kitchen, that fire may be just too big for them to put out, or they don't know how to put out that grease fire, and things go from really bad to really, really bad in a very quick period of time. I know there is still nearly three months before the end of the year, but what is this looking like fire-wise compared to past years? Uh, We're actually, uh, if you look at the big picture, the, the... amount of structure fires is actually on a slight decline, the structure fires. Unfortunately, the amount of fire deaths appears to be now going back on an incline. So we may be having fewer fires, but those fires were having actually a uh, higher instance of people succumbing to the fire or smoke 
so that's a very bad trend that we really want to stop like right now so it doesn't go any further. Okay, Fire Marshal Smith, I guess I do have one last question. I think while, you know, you remind us to check our smoke alarms and CO detectors, it's also a good time to practice your family's fire exit plan. That is that is a huge thing, uh, to practice exiting home. When I was a child, they used to have Operation Edith. Edith stood for exit drill in the home. And everybody typically knows at least one way out, that front door. But if you went to my house, that front door may be blocked by fire because the kitchen is in between my bedroom and the front door. So if there was some fire in the kitchen or the area in the southern part of wing of my house, if you want to call it, uh, I got to know a different way out. What is that way? And your children are the same way. If the main entrance is blocked, is there a back door or whatever they need to do to get out of the house? And then find that rally point, a tree across the street, uh, mailboxes or wherever. So everybody goes to one spot and the parents can count heads and say, yes, everybody's out. So practicing that is a huge thing. Thanks again to my guest, State Fire Marshal Jim Smith. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Up next, a Golden Gopher men's hockey preview when Minnesota Matters returns. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Golden Gopher men's hockey team enters the season ranked number four in the country and had to wait an extra week to start its season. Alaska was supposed to be the opponent last week in Minneapolis, but COVID-19 issues within the Alaska program forced the series to be postponed. So the Gophers now open this weekend against Mercyhurst at 3M Arena at Mariucci. Minnesota defenseman Jackson Lacombe of Eden Prairie is a returning All-American for the Gophers and spoke with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm about the excitement of getting the season underway. Yeah, I think we just came in kind of right away practicing really hard and, and battling. And then kind of when we get closer to games, we kind of get more systems going. And then we kind of try to see what our team's kind of all about kind of right before the game. So this week's definitely getting a little lighter than what it started out as, but uh, just getting ready for the game. So it's exciting. Yeah, let's talk about this team now a little bit. Obviously, you've been around these guys. The freshmen have now uh, mixed in here through these offseason workouts into this training camp and now ready for, for this weekend. Um, you guys spent time in the top five, in the number one last year. You're in the top five here in the preseason. Uh, tell us about this team. How good can this team be? And what are you guys thinking in that uh, dressing room? 
Yeah, no, we're definitely uh, definitely a great team with with a lot of speed. That's one thing I've noticed early. And these freshmen, they, they are very skilled, very good players. So we're definitely excited to have them here. But I mean, we're just we're just looking forward to to each game and kind of playing how we can play. So we're not looking too far ahead or anything. So I think um, yeah, we're just excited to get going for sure. Yeah, and and you mentioned the freshmen. You guys uh, lost some production last year. Uh, kind of tell us what 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 these freshmen are looking like as as uh, they get they mix in. Yeah, I mean uh, definitely. I mean a few high draft picks, so it's definitely cool to see that. But uh, no, I can notice they can score a lot and uh, they can make plays really well. So it's definitely fun playing with them, and uh, it's gonna be fun kind of seeing them grow and, and learn as the season goes on for sure. Obviously, you're one of the experienced guys now, and particularly on on the blue line where you guys have so much depth and so much experience. And uh, it seemed to me, and I'm not a hockey expert by any means, but in watching uh, your game develop here at the U, that you've kind of created a, a calming influence. I think when when things are going crazy, you're the guy that gets you know the stick on the puck uh, and 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 calms everything down and gets the puck where it's supposed to be. Uh, take me through your role and and, and kind of how you've evolved into that. Yeah, I think um, definitely seeing the other D here that I played with, it's definitely helped my game a lot. And um, coming in right away, there was a lot of a lot of kind of holes to fill and a lot of gaps in my game that I needed to work on. But no, I definitely think kind of the the other players and the coaches have done a great job at helping us develop and kind of helping us, yeah, fill in those holes and and kind of helping us see where like the little things that we can add to our game. And little things that can help us improve. So they've been a they've been a great help, and I can't thank my teammates enough for that. Yeah, how much pride do you guys on that defensive end of the rink take, and one the experience, and, and, and really how well you played last season, and now obviously hoping to to, to replicate that this year. It's it's a great group of guys back there, and I think we're pushing each other every day to get better. And um, it's a battle with those guys every day. So it's definitely kind of a, an honor to be with those guys and to to play with them every night. So. And and that group uh, includes um, uh, three guys, uh, you and Johnson and Faber, who won a gold medal together last year as well. What was that experience like at the World Juniors? Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty crazy. I mean, it was uh, definitely a, a big stage for all of us, and pretty special being there with two other two other your best buddies. And I know we we all had a lot of friends on the team, so that kind of made it even even better. But um, no, it was it was definitely a really cool experience for sure. Yeah, what's that moment like when you know the the clinching, uh, you know, the, you're clinching the gold medal, and then you hear the anthem and all of that stuff? <laughs> I never experienced that before <laughs> playing for USA or anything, so it's definitely wonder uh, I'm ever for sure. Um, take me through all of your travels as a hockey player. Uh, you think about what hockey's meant for you in terms of where you've been. Obviously, COVID, I suppose, has put a little bit of a crimp uh, here in the last couple of years in terms of travel. But I would imagine going all the way back uh, when you were playing, you know, mites or what have you, you were traveling around areas. Uh, what, what are some of the cool places hockey's taking you? Yeah, I mean, there's there's been some crazy kind of visits for hockey tournaments. I think I've been to Alaska for uh, – my Bantam year, I've been over to, to Europe, uh, kind of in my later years of high school into Germany. Definitely been around to crazy places I never thought I'd go to for hockey. And uh, those are definitely some of like the, the best experiences I've had, kind of being out of out of the country and stuff. So, How uh, eager are you to have fans back in the stands, including your fam- family uh, here locally and your friends and classmates and, and everybody else after after having to go through what you guys all went through last year? Yeah, no, we're, uh, we're definitely excited. Uh, I was... A little empty last year, but like a lot of the time. So yeah, just have kind of those people back and kind of the energy 
and definitely your family and friends. This is going to be awesome. That's Gopher defenseman Jackson Lacombe with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.